0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yad. Yeah. I'm in Charlotte today. Of course, uh, kind of a racing capital, if you will, and there's a reason for that with a very special guest by the name of Jade Gers. Jade, welcome to Cars yeah. Do You have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Let's do it. Throttle the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: We'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, we dive into this, uh, another great book that you've penned. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Jade?
1: Hmm that I'm a music fanatic. Um, I've played drums for many years and played in a lot of bands. So, uh, cool. you know, most people know me in the motorsports or the automotive industry, but uh, maybe don't know my uh, sort of rock and roll background.
0: You know, this is kind of interesting because in the last month I've had several guests that answer that question the same way. And hmm. I, you know, it's kind of surprising, but it's kind of fun. And that's why I asked that question, because it brings out some very unique things. Nice to hear that you're a drummer. Do you have a favorite yeah. drummer out there? that is uh someone that you really look up to
1: yeah um it's not someone that gets mentioned a lot but uh, al jackson jr was the drummer for Stax records uh which is a lot of the great 60s and 70s r&b and soul that came out of memphis he just has a great feel great timing he's not fancy um but just absolute rock solid drummer uh and so i i tend to think of uh my style uh, in that realm versus someone that's uh, uh, you know a little crazier uh, on the drums.
0: Bada boom, as they say. So
1: <laughs> very
0: cool. Well, let's dive into this book. Jay Gerst is the owner of Fingerprint Inc., a sports publicity company. He is a best-selling author, having written a series of motorsports books titled "Racer," "Beast in the Red," uh, "Driver Number 8, Uh, His writing captures the -the behind-the-scenes drama and intrigue of racing at its highest levels. His award-winning and immensely popular work Has included chronicle driver stories including Dale Earnhardt Jr., Daryl Waltrip, and John Andretti. Driver number eight with Dale uh, Earnhardt Jr. He spent 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list with that book and is believed to be the biggest selling auto racing book in American history. Congratulations for that. That is very cool. Thank you. His newest book we're going to talk about today is titled Al Unser Jr., a checkered past. It chronicles Little Al's life, successes, and challenges. Jade has also done extensive work in marketing and publicity for Ilmore Engineering, Mercedes-Benz, and Mazda, to name a few. We'll be back in just a minute, but first a word from our valued sponsors, so give them a little love. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride today. We'll be right back. I love Covercraft's new five-layer all-climate cover. It was developed and engineered for and Watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected by a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just type in the word YEAH21 Y-E-A-H at checkout, YEAH21 at Covercraft.com. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo That's right, the one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars. Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. So Jade, we're back. So let's dive a little deeper into the corner. I'd really like to Dive into this book that you've written because Little Al's a guy that I grew up with. I'm of that generation of watching the Indy 500 and all his races. Uh, His parents and grandparents before that were a little before my time, but we all know about the Unser family. And I've had Lonnie Unser on the show and a couple of other Unser's on the show. But Little Al is kind of that guy that stands out just because he came along as such a young kid and went to such great successes. But this book is uh, uh, really—it's not a tell-all. It's really written in his words of a challenging past that he's had and a lot of people kind of know about some of the things but this dives really really deep. Let's start with the forward by Roger Pensky, the great Roger Pensky because he had a lot of relations with little Al, of course. So uh let's start there and then uh we'll kind of dive into the book.
1: Yeah, we we really wanted Roger uh to do the forward because uh when you read the book, he really shines through as someone who has a huge role in Al's life, both while Al was driving for Roger and even afterwards when Al's life uh, took a little bit of a a different turn. Uh, Roger's always been there for Al, always helped him in in his life, both good and bad. So it was important to both Al and myself that we reach out to Roger and have his uh, forward to uh, appear with the book.
0: Well, the great Roger Penske, I mean, how do you get any bigger than that in automotive (laughs) motorsports? Yes. He's an incredible person. This whole book is written really in little Al's voice. So I'll tell the listeners, it's not a tell-all. Jay didn't go in and kind of create this book based on all the challenges that little Al had. This is really through the voice of little Al. And you told me in our pre-show checklist, our pre-show talk, I should say, that uh, you really felt like you were not so much of a writer but an editor with this book because of the relationship you built. And you did that with a lot of your past books that you've written about famous racers in time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, for for instance, this book, it's Al Jr.'s story. It's Al Jr.'s book. And I was merely there interviewing him, uh, transcribing more editor or uh, uh, organizer of Al's life and story from his own words. So it's not like I went out and, and wrote this on my own or, you know, interviewed hundreds of people. This literally is uh, from um, probably 50 to 60 hours of interviews that I did directly with Al over the course of of several months. My goal as a writer is that when you read it, I want you to feel like you're on your couch in the living room with Al sitting there telling you the stories of of his life. So um, the greatest compliment someone could give me is when they say, you know, I really can hear Al. Uh, his voice uh, telling these stories. So that's the biggest compliment for an author.
0: Well, I'll tell you the same because that's the sense that I had about this. So kind of walk us through. You start back very early in his career. He was so young, but he comes from this family that is so ominous in a way and a big shadow (laughs) that he's got to fulfill. And then you take us through his early successes and later successes. But then we get into a very troubled time in Little Al's life and, and things just spiraled crazy. One of the things that stood out for me was there's a part in the book where he talked about after he won the first Indy 500 that he won and how he felt lost at the end of that. And you're like, wait a minute, you just reached the goal, the pinnacle. (laughs) And in his mind, it was like, well, what's left? And the challenges that he faced after that and everything. So give us a little walkthrough. We don't want to give away everything, but starting at the beginning and how you walk through this book and how you present it to the the reader, because it really is a a, a fun way to sit there like little Al sitting there next to you and telling you his story.
1: Yeah, it, it started actually from the first discussions about the book. Al had decided now was the time for him to finally tell his story and was very open with me from the start that he wanted he wanted to tell the truth. He wanted to tell not just the heroic events of his life, which people know about as race fans, but those that are certainly much less than than heroic. The difficulty he had with drug and, and alcohol uh, abuse and uh, what they now called substance abuse disorder. And so it was definitely discussed from day one that this would be very open and honest and we weren't going to sort of hide behind anything or try to make him, uh, you know, seem more heroic than than need be. I, I think a lot of people look at these race drivers as heroes or our sports stars as heroes. And while that can be true on some level, they're really humans uh, as well. They're not just uh, perfect and all conquering. And so that was part of the the goal that Al and I had when we started doing the interviews was we're going to tell the whole story. We're going to tell the truth. And, you know, Al doesn't look very good in certain segments of this book. Uh, And uh, he was very open and honest about that.
0: Well, that's what makes it very powerful in my mind. And the fact that it's coming from him and it's not all these stories that sometimes get augmented and mixed up and confused and people's interpretations are typically not really very accurate, and it's not because they're trying to be deceitful. It's just that we don't remember things very well sometimes, Yeah, <laughs> or we augment things, or we embellish things, or whatever that might be. So let's start with this. When you think about his early careers and his successes, before he got into some challenging times in his life, yeah. were there one or two big things that really surprised you that you went, whoa, I never knew that?
1: Um, there were a lot of sort of racing stories that were surprising or were funny or hilarious, um, I had, had known Al, I worked for Mercedes Benz when Al was at the, uh, the final sort of half a uh, dozen years in cart or champ car. Uh, so I knew Al, I knew a lot of the stories. I knew a lot about his life already. Um, but, uh, and a lot of people know those same stories, but we've never heard such as his famous crash on the next to last lap of the 1989 Indy 500, where he and Emerson Fittipaldi crashed together. Emerson went on to win, Al crashed into the wall. And, you know, he's most famous for clapping and giving thumbs up to Emerson Fittipaldi, but Al had never really talked about sort of the huge emotions, the variety of emotions that he went through in that moment. The the world saw you know, great sportsmanship with the claps and the thumbs up, and the truth is much more complex. There was a, a lot of rage and disappointment that sort of led up to that sort of strange moment where he's clapping for his rival uh, who rolled, rolls past him to win the 500. Uh, it's things like that that have not been explored. Uh, again, just me as a race fan, I wanted to know about the 1995 Indy 500, which people know is the year that Team Penske didn't qualify at all. Both Al and Emerson Fittipaldi failed to qualify. And that story has never really been told in depth. And so Al was great. Uh, we sat down and went through what turned out to be such an amazing, uh, dramatic Uh, Two weeks just packed with uh, twists and turns. So as far as specific events, those two come to mind as things that he really delved into that he hadn't shared before. Uh, and then there is his, his, his two victories uh, in 92 when he said, you just don't know what indie means. Uh, we learned a lot about his state of mind then. And then in 1994, with the uh, fabled Mercedes-Benz pushrod engine, he ended up winning that race. And it was not nearly as simple as it seemed either. So again, I'm a fan. So I come into these books with that perspective as much as I come into them as a, a writer or an author. So those are always fun for me as a race fan to, to share.
0: Yeah, no doubt. As we talk about his life in a challenging time with substance abuse, alcoholism, marriage challenges, failures, uh, is there anything in that category? I mean, there probably were a lot. It's almost a silly question, but anything that kind of put you back on your heels or I think is a fan of his. And, you know, they always say, be careful when you meet your idols because <laughs> they're yes. maybe not as perfect as you thought they they should be. Is there anything yeah. that came to light during these discussions that really kind of set you back? Obviously, probably a lot of it made you feel very sad and uh concerned for him.
1: Yeah, and, and he talks again very openly about it. The anecdote he used that struck me very early on is he talked about his dad and Bobby, Bobby answer, his Uncle Bobby, had their names on their briefcases. They would walk through airports and they'd want people to, <laughs> to know who they were. They wanted to talk to people. They wanted to be recognized and mm-hmm. idolized. And Al talks about You know, when he was in an airport, he had his hat down as, you know, he would not really want people to recognize him. And that started very early in his career. And as things got difficult, you know, there were some tabloid uh, arrests that I think a lot of people sort of knew about, but no one really knew what led up to those or what the real backstory was on a lot of those Again, that's it's not always pretty. It's not always uh, something that uh, where he looks very good. But uh, it was shocking to me some of the depths of what went into his life after these glorious moments of winning uh, two IndyCar championships. Uh, You know, he won the IROC championship twice. There's some great stories about that in the book. So, you know, he was so well liked in the industry, and yet there were so many things behind the scenes of the tumult and the, the stress. And that, as you mentioned, him sort of fighting a, a sort of depression after his first Indy win, he had achieved his goal. What was next? What was he going to do now with his life? And I appreciated that he was open about sharing that. And And I think a lot of people and even speaking for myself, you have these great moments in your life that are are amazing and celebratory. But then, once things kind of calm down, you begin to sort of think, okay, where where do I go in my life now? And so, I know Al really wanted this to be a uh, to help other people that were facing difficult times. So uh, that was part of the the goal of, of writing it as well is you know, learn, learn from his mistakes. Don't do as I do. So that, that's part of it as well.
0: You know, we see this, especially in the star celebrity world, people that we go, wow, you've got it made. And then things creep in, doubt, whatever, um, things in their lives. And all of a sudden they go towards drugs, alcohol, uh in many cases to self medicate the depression or the anxiety or the stress it pick something i mean there's so many things in the sports racing world is not really very different than that. I always, I've always, i said this on my show to many race. I've interviewed hundreds of racers and I say, one weekend you're a champion, the next weekend you're a chump. And yeah. that up and down is the same with actors, sports figures. Uh, you can be on the top of the world and you make one mistake or you do something. Or if you look in this world of social media, you say <laughs> one thing or do one tweet that might upset a bunch of people and you're villainized. And you're not at the top anymore. You're shunned or whatever it might be. Was there, was it anything in particular with little Al that started sending him down this challenging, dark path? So many, so many things it could be. I mean, the shadow of his family and and just the nature of the career that he had.
1: Yeah. And he deals with the fact that he, you know, his father was an all-time great. His uncle was. And he, he talks about not ever feeling pressured to be exactly like his dad or his uncle. But from a very very young age, the use of, of things like marijuana to help with his anxiety, to help with whatever uh, stresses he may have had, that started very early in his life. And he's very clear about saying that you know, getting hooked on on drugs or getting uh, to the point where you're an alcoholic, it's not like there's just a test you can go into, you know, for and they, they take some blood and they say you are, you know, you have cancer or you have this or that. Uh, this disease is is somewhat different, and it's it's not an immediate slide to the depths. It, it's a very long, long journey for him to go from the the highest of the highs uh, you know certainly one of the most famous athletes in the world to uh, you know the depths of which are uh, incredible that didn't just happen overnight it's a very slow gradual fall from grace and the book kind of describes that that uh, you know it, it it wasn't just an overnight thing it, it happened very gradually and over the course of a lot of years
0: a sequence of different events that kept Compiling and building and building, building, and yes. t- took him to that those very dark, dark places in his life. Yeah. When you spoke with him, and I ask this typically of my guests about mentors or driving inspirations, but let's keep it mm-hmm. on little Al here. Uh, were there obviously the the mentors or inspirations his life with his family and racing? But you talk about working for someone like Roger Penske, that has got to be a great mentor, a driver. W- were there some people, maybe other racers that were very influential that? helped him to try to move past what he was doing or stop him? Maybe they weren't successful because hard to be successful because there's a lot going on there. But were there some yeah. key
1: people? Obviously, Roger Pensky is is key. There is an amazing chapter uh, at the end of Al's time with Roger where Roger began drug testing him and, and what Al went through with that. He talks about Rick Nears trying to help him. He talks about, obviously, his dad and his uncle were big influences, but Mario Andretti was a huge influence to him. And that's a, a thread that that goes through the, the book. But as far as his contemporaries, uh, there is really an interesting thread with he and Michael Andretti, how their, their careers were intertwined. And they were never close friends. It's not like they hung out a lot, but yet... They had such respect for each other on and off the track that they began doing things like sharing contract information. They believed that uh, if Al got a raise on a contract, boy, Michael's uh, negotiating uh, position would go up, and and vice versa. And it really reached a point at the the end of the book where. Al really had hit a very deep bottom. And some things that Michael said to him or asked him really were the impetus to get Al started on what's now kind of a, a path of of recovery. Uh, the, the last chapter of the book is called Redemption, which he admits is not, again, it's not something that's going to happen immediately. He's not just going to snap his fingers. It's going to be a very long process. And Michael Andretti had a very key role in. In helping him get on the right track, so um, so for, for me, those were the the names or the characters that um, from very early on in his career had a, a positive influence through to to even current day uh, in how he conducts his life now.
0: Amazing. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors again. When we come back. I want to talk about maybe. A big challenge that you faced in writing this book. I assume every book project is fraught with a few challenges here or there. Uh, So keep that thought in mind. Keep the seatbelts on and we'll be right back. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. And be sure to use the code CARSYA when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts, in the United States, that's right. And Carja yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, Dupont Registry recommended Carja yeah! is one of their top ten car podcasts for you to enjoy. Carja yeah! has experienced tremendous growth. Plus, your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Carja every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. So let's talk about this. uh, A book like this, putting it together in giving little owl respect, but telling the truth has got to be a part of the challenge here. But what would you say was one of your biggest challenge in this project?
1: Well, the fact that he was so open and honest did make it easier for me uh, in the sense that he was willing to to be honest and hit things head on. He was very conscious, though. He didn't want to basically throw other people under the bus. And he very well could have, because there were other people involved in his life that were either not very good to him or not very helpful. So we were very conscious that while he was very open about sharing his struggles or his failures, that this book was not a method of him getting revenge or, or, uh, you know, blaming
0: uh, others, (laughs) blaming
1: others. That's, that's great. I was struggling for the right word. Right. right. And so, uh, we talked about that a lot. We would talk a lot between interviews where we would say, now this anecdote really has the danger of, of, you know, accusing someone or or someone that's involved in this are really going to look bad. And we didn't, shy away from stories but we shied away from making this about other people in fact we left out a lot of great stories about his family because it it the focus is on al uh, we didn't want to write an unser family book this is an al unser junior story so there was a lot of of stories that again as a as a race fan i loved and enjoyed but sort of took us on a different path or strayed from the the central narrative. So those were some of the challenge uh, challenges. Not all of my books have had uh, a lot more material that that could have gone in but didn't. Uh, sometimes you're you're sort of uh, dealing with every <laughs> every morsel that you've got. Right. But, but this one we had a challenge of keeping the narrative very focused, making it, I don't want to say entertaining because there are some very ugly parts of the book where entertainment is sort of not the theme, but, uh, but there are, um, compelling moments that we want a reader to be, um, emotionally invested in, whether they're funny about his racing career and people, or if they're very serious about things like suicide or, or drug abuse. So that made it a challenge is, uh, this isn't, The Hollywood happy ending, although the the ending is is very hopeful where he's at in his life now. But uh, but that that again, as an author, that's the challenge is how do I present that in a way that is palatable, that is enjoyable, that is readable. You mentioned earlier about short paragraph or short chapters, and I've always tried to do that bite sized pieces. This is an internet attention span world right now. Yes, so unfortunately. I, yeah. I, I try to write in it, with that in mind. You know, I don't want these massive chapters that, that take forever to read. I want people to be able to pick it up. And, and we're going to take you through this story in a very concise and and uh, the most uh, sort of focused manner possible.
0: Having gotten to know little Al as you have, how is he today? Where is he at now in his life? is, is he resolved, positive, good? It
1: it is on a good path. Uh, He's the first to admit that it's a long path back. It's not a perfect straight line where you snap your fingers and suddenly everything is rainbows and roses. But he's uh, recently gotten uh, got married and has actually been uh, spending somewhat of a honeymoon time with his new wife, which is why I've been doing some of these interviews, uh, because he's he's enjoying uh, his new life. So I'm very encouraged by that. He's gotten back into racing with a team that focuses upon helping young kids that may be disadvantaged or not have the parents with a checkbook that can pave their way through the sport. I think it's very redemptive to him to help young kids make their way through the the industry. And I, I think just the process of doing this book has been helpful to him. Therapeutic. There were days when he was just it was just so emotional for him and me as well that we just had to stop because it just it just brought up so much raw emotion. And I think that comes through in the book, I, I would hope. But uh but I think that was a very positive thing for him to sort of um share and compare and and you know try to help people understand where where he's at from where he came from.
0: Oh, I'm really happy to hear that. I'll tell you I write a blog every week for my website. And this week that we're recording the show, uh the blog I just put out last night was called Service is the thing. And it really mm-hmm. talks about the challenges that we've all been through with the COVID pandemic and depression and what that leads to. And it could of course can lead to substance abuse and all sorts of things. And I share in that one of the things I've learned, which is what you just said, is when we figure out that giving back to others and helping others uh, is so restorative for us as human beings, even though you you may not even know it, it's very makes me smile that he's figured that out. He probably figured it out before, but he's doing it because that's how you heal yourself. That's how you yes. feel better inside. So I think he's he's found a bit of a magic ride here uh, to kind of use a racing pun uh, to yeah. get himself into that area where he is caring and giving back to others that need that help and he's doing it in the field that he has massive expertise in yeah so the depth of knowledge in that guy's mind is immense so that makes me really really happy let's talk about your bucket list before we talk about you and cars and that is what's the next big book bucket list for you do you have something on the horizon
1: Um, I I don't have a book in the process right now. Um, During the pandemic, I I did a book with John Andretti before he passed away, uh, which was very rewarding, very emotional. And uh, soon after that, it just so happens that the Andretti family and Al Jr. share an attorney. And uh, the attorney said to Al, we should reach out to Jade and see if he's interested. But that meant starting a new book immediately after i'd finished the previous one so i I, i'm in a stage where i kind of want to clear my mind kind of uh get back uh to sort of uh I don't know how else to describe it. I, I'm, I'm not burnt out, but doing two books back to back is one hell of an endeavor. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I want to, I want to be cautious and pick and choose. I have interest in getting involved. I have a, an education background in broadcasting and television. Mm-hmm. I have some potential to do some work in the TV field. Uh, none of which is is set in stone that I can really talk about, but uh, To me, being able to do a variety of different things is very restorative. It's exciting to delve into a different area and a different challenge. That's a big thing for me. So that's probably next in my career. I love doing books, and I definitely want to continue doing them. But short term, uh, that's uh, not... not front of front of mind right
0: now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about cars here because I know you're an automotive fan and racing fan. Sure. I asked my guests about a real special car in their life. Now, uh, it doesn't have to be about this one, but you sent me a picture of you in a Renard race car <laughs> yes. and i went okay what's going on with this is is that a car you got to do some
1: laps in or uh yes and no i don't want to make it sound more than it that really was uh when i was with mercedes or technically ilmore engineering which at that time was building mercedes engines in formula one and in the, the cart series uh, PacWest was one of the teams that used our engines at the end of each year packweb West would basically take over a small airstrip in the Indianapolis area and allow VIP guests to come out and do a lap in in one of their. Uh, at that time, they had kind of a touring car program. And then uh, those of us on the Mercedes side, uh, the IndyCar program. So it was a, an absolute thrill for me to get into one of our current IndyCars and basically uh, do laps around a, a big, wide open airfield where I could. Couldn't crash into walls or yeah. anything no, That's like always that. the best—the best, the best yeah. when you jump into a car like that. Yes, and so that was a, an amazing, huge thrill. And I, I have one tip for anyone that that tries to drive an indie car. They had these fire suits that we would put on over our clothes, and I forgot to take my wallet out of my back pocket, <laughs> yeah. and it's a very tight fit. And midway through my drive, my, my butt and my right leg began to fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) The pressure, the pressure on that vein. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, when I went to get out, I had to kind of hold on for a few seconds because my leg had gone to sleep. So that, that's my uh, suggestion. If you ever have a chance to drive an open-wheel car like that, make sure you, you take everything out of your back pocket. But, uh, You'll
0: laugh at this because I used to race a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior in vintage oh, racing. And yeah. it was a very old car, but it had been restored many times. But the shift knob which was actually on the left, not the right. Mm. And the Mm -hmm. H pattern was backwards. First was upper right. So you had to be very careful going from second to third because you might make a mistake and go from third to second, which you don't want to do. But the shift knob was the original shift knob on that car. It it had this Mm. patina and history. It was kind of cracked, but it was like one of the only last things that had been untouched. And I was racing in the middle of a race and it came off. And all of a sudden, you know, on this, the, the column that holds it, the pole is this little tiny and I'm like, uh Oh, what do I do? And I, I shoved it down between my seat and my butt and the same thing happened about two (laughs) laps in all of a sudden my left leg started going to sleep and I'm like, "Uh, what do I do? And I'm, Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not, not very comfortable that's for sure. But you brought that, that fun memory to mind.
1: Do you have a special vehicle in your life that you've enjoyed you know, I, I I thought about that. I, growing up, my father uh, owned car dealerships, and when I uh, so, and when I was young, we always had um, you know like an older Corvette in our garage. Nice. And so I was always around very compelling cars. And then when I was of the age to drive, I, I went through a series of cars that were really wonderful. Um, unfortunately I would only be able to drive them for a very short time because then they had to, had to go back out on, on the lot. My dad would sell them. Sure, but, yeah. uh, at one stage I, I was able to drive a 68 Z 28 and it was just amazing that uh you know that a high school senior would get the chance to drive uh, a car like that and i luckily i think i was old enough to really appreciate it at the time but now uh, looking back it's even more special to have had the chance to to be be my daily driver uh, for a while so uh, yeah that, that that one really stands out to me
0: well, I think so. You know, I got to take my driver's test in a Z twenty eight. My oh, nice. my neighbor up the street owned a Chevy dealership, and mm-hmm. in fact, he was he helped get me my first car, which was not a Z twenty eight. But he <laughs> he brought home. He said, "Hey, I hear you're going to get your driver's test." Uh, he brought home a brand new Z twenty eight, and hmm. he said, "If you pass your test, you can keep this car for a week." And then you wow. got to give it back. Maybe he thought yeah. <laughs> my parents might buy it for me, which wasn't going to happen. And I'll tell you, when I I you know, was in California, when uh, the driving instructor came out to take me on my drive, he walked very slowly around that car, looking at it, got in. He was kind of a big, imposing man and looks at me and he goes, is your car, kid? And I said, <laughs> no, sir. My neighbor loaned it to me. And he said, if I pass my test, I get to keep it for a week. And he looks at me and he goes, well, you better pass. Yeah. (laughs) Pressure's on. Pressure's on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I sure would have loved to have kept that car, but that wasn't in the cards. (laughs) Too expensive for me. I'm going to crawl into your head and be your automotive psychologist today.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, A question I bet no one's ever asked you. If you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive the man in the mirror, what would you be? But more importantly, why?
1: I've thought long and hard about this and and I, I could go several different ways and I'm afraid to give this one because it sounds pretentious, but I'm going to go ahead. Go for I'm, it. I have an explanation. Um, growing up to me, indie cars were the ultimate expression of auto- automotive technology and, and excitement. So that to me still holds a special place. So a current indie car is, I think is, is, beautiful i don't think of myself as beautiful but i like to think that i'm uh, you know workable but the fact that uh, a modern indie car there is nothing extraneous on the car there's nothing there for looks or for show it is only there to complete a race in the fastest possible time when i'm in the mode as a rider I want to think of myself as that car. I don't want to throw extraneous words in there to make me look fancy or to try to impress someone that I know big words. I want to tell the story in the most efficient way possible. And so I relate that to a, a modern indie car. And so that, that's how I approach each of my books. That's how I approach my personal and professional life, there's not a lot of frills in my life. It's purely about what is the essence of what we're about? What is the essence of what the story I'm telling is about? So I'm going to be pretentious and say uh, modern IndyCar.
0: Well, you've redeemed yourself with the reason why, and that's why I always want to go into that, so I think you're okay uh, you're, you're covered there, but I like your answer i would expect from a wordsmith like you to have a very eloquent way of explaining that answer you did a you did a very nice job. A reminder our listeners today this book is titled Al Unser Jr a checkered past it's a marvelous book you should get your your hands on it, and of course, our friends at Octane press are the publishers of the book. And I want to do a shout out to uh, Joe Snyder who connected me with Jay. Uh, the folks at Octane have brought me so many great guests, so many great books. And this is definitely one, if you're an automotive enthusiast and if you're a racing enthusiast, you need to have on your shelf. And you know, with the holidays coming, if you've got friends, I'd like to give books away to friends for the holidays. This would be a great book uh, for a, a gift. And I'll put a link to how you can get your hands on a book on a GH right. show notes page on the car. Show website. His last name is Gers, G U R S S double S. So, uh, there's an SS in there. Yeah, Camaro SS. There's been a lot of cars with SS Chevelles, all sorts Absolutely. of cars. Yeah, there you go. Now, before I let you go today, I'm going to take you on the ultimate drive, which enables okay. you to pick any car, any person, living or deceased, and anywhere you might be going. So what does that ultimate drive look like for you today?
1: Ooh, maybe the Stelvio Pass. Ooh, uh, I like it. It's amazing. Yep. Um, and I would prefer to be in the passenger seat with uh, Dan Gurney, Driving. Nice. Nice. Dan is a hero to me, A, because he was a great driver, but B, because he was a wonderful human being, very gracious, very wonderful guy. And was also innovative as a car owner, you know, as an engineer. There were so many things that that he helped develop. Uh, He and his team at All-American Racers. So my level of uh, admiration for Dan Gurney is immense. Uh, I wrote a book called Beast, uh, which was about the the top secret Mercedes-Benz engine program with Roger Penske. And Dan actually read it and sent me a note how much he loved it. And that he had bought copies for friends of his, and it, it just th- that to this day stays with me. It was just the ultimate for me as a writer to have Dan Gurney reach out and say that he liked uh, liked my work. So I want to be in the passenger seat with Dan driving that uh, incredibly winding and ribbon-like road uh, up and down the Stelvio Pass. Does it matter what car Dan's driving? Well a race car is kind of hard to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh maybe that 4GT uh, that he drove at Le Mans maybe I can fit in the passenger seat and maybe yeah. we have good radios where we can talk back and forth. So yeah. uh, I'll go with that maybe. Yeah. <laughs> as the vehicle
0: that sounds pretty marvelous you know i had dan scheduled many times to be a guest on the show and we had to keep canceling because it was towards the end of his life and he just wasn't doing well but um his is a uh, lovely assistant kept saying mark he's trying to get some projects done he knows that you know his life may not be uh, for much longer because he's not doing well and uh, i just wish i could have got him on the show but there's a testament to who he was i mean up until the end, the guy was working, thinking, I mean, just always trying to come up with something. Uh, I had the luxury of talking to him several times. I uh, met him when he wrote one of his last books and got to get him to sign that and get to talk to him a little bit at an event. Yeah, just a wonderful man. So it's really sad yeah. that I missed him. Before I let you go, could you share a success quote, a mantra, some kind of uh, words of inspiration
1: for us today? Oh, boy. Well, to quote my, my late father, vanity is expensive. <laughs> And uh, he always said that, and I think that is how I've approached uh, my life. Uh, it's important to understand what's most important in your life, whether that's family or loved ones or uh, things of that nature, and not get too caught up in vanity or extraneous things. So so I, I'd probably stick with something that my dad told me, and uh, that that that'll be my uh, quote, "Vanity is expensive."
0: A wise man, your father, definitely. (laughs) I like that saying. That's cool. Uh, How can people learn more about you at Fingerprint Inc.?
1: Uh, I tell you, I'm all over social media these days. Uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter. So at Jade Gers on Twitter. I talk a lot about racing, uh, both current and past. Uh, uh I spent uh, many years as PR guy for Dale Jr. So a lot of Dale Jr. Stories, a lot of Mercedes Benz IndyCar stories and, uh, some music stories as well. I'm a sucker for, for great music. So, uh, uh, I spent a lot of, uh, time on social media. You, you can certainly find me there. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I've kind of, uh, done away with my facebook but uh, right now those two are the best place to uh, to find me daily and uh, i'm always open to direct messages or questions on there uh, happy to speak with anyone i love uh, helping young people getting involved in the sport so uh hit me up there send me a question i'm happy to help
0: Sounds good. I'll put links on Jade Shono's page to these sites so you can follow him and enjoy his continued writings. And again, I really encourage you to get your hands on his book. Well, all of his books, actually. They're all fantastic. Uh, they all sit on my shelf, so uh, they should be sitting on yours, too. Al Lencer Jr., A Checkered pass. It's a wonderful walk through Little Al's life of triumph and tragedy and conquest and redemption and... uh And we're so happy to hear that he's uh, on a good path and doing well. That's great. Jay, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing this new book with us. Can't wait for the next one down the road. No doubt there will be one, or maybe we'll be seeing you on TV or somewhere. We never know. Until you (laughs) and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Here at Cars Yeah!, it's all about inspiration and our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education, and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah!